somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. And that's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. And we're uh, we're going to be talking a lot about, um, well, we're going to talk about a little bit about globalism today. Um, we're also going to talk about Pfizer. Uh, we're going to talk about the two standards of justice. And uh, we're also going to expand upon the, uh, the Rand Paul-Fauci debate and it's quite, you know, it's quite interesting, really, when you think about it. Um, I mean, we have so many things that we can talk about with respect to the Biden, you know, attack on America. I, I don't even want to say leadership of any sort. Um, it seems like it's a coordinated, strategic attack on on America, and and everything that she stands for, every, you know, America values, uh, the American people. And they've gotten so aggressive with it because they look at the middle class as being Trump supporters. So the middle class, therefore, ergo, is evil. <laughs> and <clears throat> that's a bit of a problem because that's the... In a healthy society, that, that would be the largest swath of people. That would be 60% of the people. And, of course, they know that they need to change the demographics. So that's what they're doing with the open borders. The only problem with that is Hispanics are starting to show about 23% interest in Joe Biden. And the rest is going to go to Trump. They like Trump. So you're going to probably start to see Mayorkas come up with a new strategy. Maybe maybe we'll put a wall up. You know, maybe we'll stop the flood of Republican voters from coming across the border. You know, wouldn't that be something? And, you know, the Republicans, to their credit, would be like, yeah, that sounds good. We want a secure border. We don't want all these new infections to come through our border. We don't want people that can't speak English to be taking up all of our resources in our schools and 
and and in our um, welfare systems that you know we should we should uh, make available to uh, war veterans and and people that are struggling with drug addiction that are American citizens. You know we have a finite a limit of uh, finite limit uh, to what we can give. But we're giving $40 billion to Ukraine. It's another $40 billion. This is just such a, such a redistribution of wealth to aid and abet globalism. That's what it is. It's aiding and abetting globalism. It's taking money out of the middle class taxpayer dollar and it's giving it to it's giving it to who it's giving it to ukraine but we're also giving a lot of money to russia with the oil prices going up we're also giving money to saudi arabia and we're paving the way for jcpoa this skyrocketing oil crisis that was created by biden is going to help facilitate the necessity for a JCPOA deal because they're going to make the argument that they need that oil from Iran in order to, you know, help the average Joe in America. And that is how they do it. And that's how... The World Economic Forum works. That's how the globalism works. That's how the WHO works. They create these pandemics so that they can control the people. They create uh, an alarming climate uh, derangement so they can regulate the people. France is cutting off uh, events. They're going to start to impose laws. They're going to control what you consume. What kind of car you drive? I mean, I think it was France that said by 2035, we're going to legally ban combustible engines. Even though, even though the electric vehicle hasn't really even proven itself. And it can't compete with combustible engines. That's why they have to raise the price of gas to $5 a gallon. Because if the the gas was affordable... Electric vehicles would never be able to compete. And the same thing is true with climate and and COVID. I mean, they use these crises every single step of the way to control you. The social credit score system comes to mind. And we're finding out now that the vaccine doesn't even work. But again, it's that redistribution of wealth coming from the middle-class taxpayer and going out the window to the CEO of Pfizer who sits there with Klaus Schwab and finances every single globalist piece of agenda working arm-in-arm with BlackRock and Larry Fink. And what do you have? You have this you have this army of unelected officials that are you know pockets deep in rich gold and cash 
and crypto, and all they want to do is create uh, control and get ahead of the curve every last bastion of freedom. You want to go crypto and get off the grid? Forget about it. They've already beat you to it. And they can put out put put uh, these crypto companies out of business overnight, just by sheer propaganda from the media that they control. They control the media. The media tells you that Bitcoin is about to collapse. You're going to pull all your money from Bitcoin, and guess what? It collapses. Not because it would have collapsed on its own, but because you pulled your money out because you were fearing that you were going to lose everything. And yeah, you did take a loss because crypto has dropped a tremendous amount in terms of its uh, value. And if people start to just flood for the exits you know, head to the exit doors. Crypto, crypto, whether it's Bitcoin or any, any other, is not going to stand a chance. And that's the thing. That, that Already you're starting to see these rumors say, hey, they don't have that FDIC approval. They don't stamp of approval. That insurance that protects your money if you have $250,000 in the bank and they'll protect it. A lot of people will put 250 here, 250 over there, 250 because they don't want to exceed the 250. So they got the FDIC protecting your money. Crypto doesn't have that. And they're going to go ahead and, you know, wage all kinds of propaganda wars and tell you theirs is the best. Theirs is uh, protected by the government. And you're supposed to think that somehow the government has your best interest at heart. All they have to do is click a switch on a screen and uh, freeze your account. Your account no longer is active. Your account no longer is accessible. Because you said the wrong thing. You did not get the proper vaccine. You didn't do what you were told. You protested too much. And that's the other thing, you know, Stephen Colbert made this announcement last night on his show, I guess. I don't watch it, but I saw the clip and he was basically trying to say that uh, there's no comparison between his team and what they did and what the J6 people did. You know, the J6 people weren't going, there was a few, there was a few people that were going out of their way, uh, that started the J6. The J6 was started by a few people. And then the floodgates were open. They were waving them all in because they wanted to basically say, you are now guilty of disturbing uh, the Congress and the functions and duties of our government. You are now disturbing that process. As if that hasn't happened before. How about the Kavanaugh hearing? How about the Kavanaugh confirmation? They disturbed that process, didn't they? And the Supreme Court, they disturbed that process. And and you can go on and on and on. The Department of the Interior had some recent thing. Again, if that's the benchmark, they've already done it. But nobody's throwing the book at them. Nobody's throwing them in jail and locking to, uh, throwing them out the key holding them, incarcerating them without a charge, without an arrest warrant, without anything. Nobody even knows what these people are going to be charged with. They said that they were going to um, get 
at Trump. And guess what? They didn't. You know why? They said, well, we're not going to press any criminal referrals. We're not going to issue any. There was no crime. That's why. It's not because they're doing it out of the kindness of Adam Schiff is not doing it out of the kindness of his own heart. No. If they could have gotten them, they would have gotten them. They have nothing. So where do we start today? We could start with this. So this is what Stephen Colbert was talking about last night. And uh, and then we got some Fauci Rand Paul clips. They're really, really good, too. Um, but we're going to go ahead and take a listen to this. So this is uh, Steve Colbert, and then we're going to listen to Julie Kelly talk about it. Let's take a listen. The Capitol Police were just doing their job. My staff was just doing their job. Everyone was very professional. Everyone was very calm. My staffers were detained, processed, and released. A very unpleasant experience. Detained, processed, and released. Detained, processed, and released. That's the way it should have been on J6. That's the way it was at the Kavanaugh hearing. People were getting arrested twice in one day at the Kavanaugh hearings. They were disturbing the functions of government to confirm a Supreme Court nominee. And they were arrested after making a huge disturbance in the chamber. And then they were bailed out by Kamala Harris and her people. You know, because she had that bailout fund. And then what happened? She, they went back and they got arrested again. And they, they were let out instantly. Yet the J6 people did virtually the same thing. There was not one weapon found on the grounds that day. To call it an insurrection is ridiculous. But you're about to hear Colbert talk about that. And... He's basically saying, my guys got arrested and then they were released. They did their job. Everything went according to plan. Blah, blah, blah. It was very calm. My staffers were detained, processed, and released. A very unpleasant experience for my staff. A lot of paperwork for the Capitol Police, but a fairly simple story. Until (laughs) the next night when a couple of the TV people started claiming that my puppet squad had, quote, committed insurrection (laughs) at the U.S. Capitol building. First of all, what? (laughs) Second of all, huh? Yeah. So he's having some fun with it, right? It's easy to have fun when you're free and you have the justice on your side. But if you're Roger Stone and you you actually cross (coughs) your eyes, you're basically going to have uh, what? Your door broken in at gunpoint with the media notified at 6 in the morning. Uh, Caller, you're on the air. Hey, morning, Scott. Good morning. Uh, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm really sick and tired of hearing this. Uh, oh, they're just doing their job. You know, where did this notion come from that, that uh, just because your employer to do, told you to do something, that you just have to do it? That's what, exactly what I thought, by the way, when I... I I had this vision in my head with the Roger Stone incident. I said, how do you as an FBI agent sit down on a bench and strap on your gun and your bulletproof vest and your helmet and act like a SWAT team to a uh, an elderly man and his his uh, wife and their dog 
when you know, you know, and they did the same thing with um, uh, Peter Navarro, and they did the same thing, you know, with uh, Paul Manafort. You know, all these people uh, were mistreated. But how do you, as an FBI agent, where you took an oath to, you know, enforce the law, and you strap on all of that garbage, how do you, as a man, look at yourself in the mirror and do that stunt? Whether you were told to do it by your commander or not, you should, you should, you know, basically say, I'm out of this one. I'm not going to participate in this raid, this dawn raid. Well, I mean, it even goes down to, you know, like uh, the, the Walgreens clerk, you know, f- telling you to put on a mask or leave, you know. Yeah. How do they uh, look at themselves in the mirror? Yeah, you know, I mean, just because your employer told you to violate my my rights uh, doesn't give you the right to do it just because you're doing your job. No, it's become just a political football and everybody's so agitated. And, you know, it is what it is right now. But... um the violent ones you ever, you ever, are the ones from the left, not the right. Just look at what Juneteenth was all about. There was riot after riot after riot. Who who didn't see that happening? Yeah. You ever see movies of, you know, dystopian futures like uh, 1984 and uh, movies like that? Not really, but uh, I've heard of them and I've read about them and I know about well, them there's a little seems, bit. There seems to be one common factor in all of those predictions of the future the people in control always have their armed goons that enforce their will okay yeah well so I mean, those are the people just doing their job yeah you should have seen matthew mcconaughey he had a practically a swat team around him when he walked into congress you know armed to the yeah, teeth yeah. and yet he wants to support red flag laws yeah, yeah. that guy's a disappointment yeah, well, anybody Anyways, that, well, so is Cornyn, so is Texas uh, Senator Cornyn, you know, who supports yeah. red flag laws. I, you know, anybody that supports red flag laws needs to get their head examined. I mean, you can't, can't they see the inherent danger in, in that concept? Yeah. Well, thank you. Hey, thanks, <laughs> I mean, thanks, for, thanks for calling in today. Thanks. Bye. Yeah, take care. All right, so... Uh, yeah, it is. It is. It is what it is. But let's take. A, let's continue to listen to the rest. Of, there's a little bit of this Stephen Colbar that is going to be very annoying, right? We're just going to play a little bit of it. I hate to hear it actually because it's such a lie. Third of all, they weren't in the Capitol building. Fourth of all, and I am shocked. I have to explain the difference. But an insurrection involves disrupting the lawful actions of Congress and howling for the blood of elected leaders, all to prevent the peaceful transfer of power. The- yeah, that's sort of the de- definition of an insurrection. Okay, but uh, they actually did that too, and the people of Kavanaugh uh, on the Kavanaugh hearing did that too. And so they, you know, it's done. That's what happens with protests, with proceedings that are uh, currently going on, right? And they were guilty of it as well, but they're not going to admit it. Let's take a listen to Julie Kelly's response to Colbert. Can we just, let, let's just say for the sake, just in case we we're arguing like, you know, a pre-Biden America where justice was pretty much meted out equally. What punishment, based on very recent precedent, 
would Stephen Colbert's insurrectionists face? <clears throat> well, first, it would be the felony charge that is most commonly applied to January 6th protesters, and that is obstruction of an official proceeding. I mean, these insurrectionists went to the January 6th committee hearing. They were prohibited from being there because they had already been denied special press credentials. Of course, they're not media. They're not entertainers, Tucker. They are Democrat Party activists. That's correct. They are no different than any of the people who were there on January 6th. I mean, Stephen Colbert is a Democrat party loyalist. He spends his entire show beating up on Trump and Republicans. So they were there as activists. So they they could have actually shut down this committee. Um, and so think about that. Think of the horde. Think of Liz Cheney's face. If the puppet dog guy um, caused her committee to pause, I mean, that is, it's just beyond the pale. And so they definitely need to be arrested charged with obstruction of an official proceeding, um, sent to jail, pretrial detention. Um, so that that's just the first step. And then there are several other uh, misdemeanors that should be applied. Now, now, keep in mind, she's not, Julie Kelly is not advocating that. She's basically saying under the Biden doctrine, that's what they would have done. That's what they should have done under the Biden doctrine. But no Republican is recommending that. She's not recommending that, just so you're clear about that. She's basically saying this is what would be recommended if the standard that was applied to J6 protesters was applied to the Colbert press protesters. Right, to them as well. Yeah, and then they can spend a year and a half in solitary confinement pre-charge right. in the D.C. jail, the worst jail in America. Mm-hmm. The fa- I'm trying not to use profanity. The fact that's happening right now and no one's saying anything about it is just unbelievable. You are, though, and we're grateful for that. Julie Kelly. Julie Kelly, yep. She's been on that, and uh, it's almost like a cottage business for her, actually. She's probably done pretty well with that business, but somebody really needs to do it anyway. So, you know, good on her. Um, all right, so that's the, uh, that's the Colbert thing. And, uh, yeah, it's it's... What can you say? I mean, there's, I'm speechless. It's hard to even imagine that this is happening in Washington, D.C., and that Nancy Pelosi doesn't give any concern whatsoever about the civil liberties. And how about the ACLU? You know, haven't they shown their true colors, right? I mean, I've known this for 20 years. I mean, it's nothing new. But, but this is so blatant, right? The ACLU, where are they? For these people that are locked up without a charge, pre-charge lockup for a year and a half, where where is where? I mean, this is Cuba. St- this is Cuba stuff right here. This is Cuba political dissident stuff right here. It's unbelievable. So we got to do better. All right. So we we want to move on to uh, wow. So I got two directions to go. And I want to go to uh, Klaus Schwab, but I'm going to save that for last. Uh, I want to get to Fauci, um, and I want to play the uh, the the full clip uh, with respect to uh, Rand Paul, because he gets into a lot of other stuff, not just the royalties uh, feature that they that they featured on the news, not just the royalties. But there's a lot of talk about um, about Pfizer's drugs not being effective for 
younger people yet potentially causing harm and that the studies are bogus the the Pfizer studies are absolutely bogus so um, there's a lot to unpack there and I think that that's you know because Rand Paul's been on uh, on Fauci with respect to financing gain-of-function research in Wuhan that allowed this pandemic to happen. And now Fauci is getting rich off of the royalties from the vaccines to put the fire out. It's like the fireman creates the fire, gets double pay uh, for putting the fire out, and then tries to become a hero in the process. They Yet they're the arson, and they're the person who worked for double pay to put the fire out. Wait, that that's something that happens in California all, every every summer, right? Um, yeah, they misappropriate the emergency funds, and it goes to build train systems and all kinds of crap. You know that they never get done. It's crazy stuff. All right, let's take a listen to Rand Paul. We do have this Klaus Schwab thing that I would love to be able to get to. We'll see if we'll see if we can get to it, um, and then also. Um, there's this. There's this uh, shorter clip here that I'm going to... What also is going play. on here with this BMJ article? It, yeah. It's criticising the actual vaccine trials of yeah, Pfizer. Yeah, it's really quite devastating for <laughs> Pfizer, in my view. So what's come out in this BMJ investigation is a whistleblower at one of the Pfizer vaccine sites involved in the pivotal trial that was involved in ultimately making policies on rolling out their vaccine has said that essentially on one of those sites there was evidence of falsifying data, not following up on adverse events. And what's made worse by this, um, Alex, is that the whistleblower contacted the regulator, the FDA in America, and they didn't do anything about it. Paul Thacker, the investigative journalist for the BMJ, said also, he said, where is the FBI? Why is there not a criminal investigation going into this? So this is very concerning. But let's just take a step back for a second. For me... As a, as a doctor, as an activist, someone who's looked at research integrity over many years, it, it's not really that surprising, even though it's shocking, because if you look at the history of drug companies generally, there has been um, a, a problem for a very long time with corruption of data, hiding data on harms, not sharing data, which then means that doctors and patients are basically having to make decisions on biased information. Um, and when I say that this hasn't been rectified, I mean, that's the other issue. Uh, between 2009 and 2014, for example, most of the top 10, without naming an individual company, most of the top 10 pharmaceutical companies uh, paid a total of $13 billion in fines for criminal activity, which involved hiding data on harms, um, illegal, in, illegal marketing of drugs, for example. Um, and uh, and th- there's nothing that's been done. The BMJ pointed out this before. Nothing's been done to rectify this. So there, that's a, that's a, that's a little bit of a setup to the Ram Paul thing. Um, Let's take a listen. Dr. Fauci, the government recommends uh, everybody take a booster over age five. Are you aware of any studies that show reduction in hospitalization or death for children who take a booster? Right now, there's not enough data that has been accumulated, Senator Paul, to indicate that that's the case. The, I believe that the recommendation that was made was based on the assumption that if you look at the morbidity and mortality of children within each of the age groups, you know, zero so, to five, five to 11. Right. So, so, let's, so there, there are no studies, and Americans should all know this, there are no studies on children showing a reduction in hospitalization or death with taking a booster. 
The only studies that were permitted, the only studies that were presented were antibody studies. So they say, if we give you a booster, you make antibodies. Now, a lot of scientists would question whether or not that's proof of efficacy of a vaccine. If I give you 10, or if I give a patient 10 mRNA vaccines and they make protein each time or they make antibody each time, is that proof that we should give 10 boosters, Dr. Fauci? Uh, no, that, I think that is somewhat of an absurd exaggeration. Well, that the is poll. the proof that you use. Your committees use that. That's the only proof you have to tell children to take a booster is that they make antibodies. So it's not right. an absurdity. Are, You're already uh, at like five boosters for people. You've had, you know, two or three boosters. It's like, where is the proof? Now, I think there is yeah. probably some indication for older folks that have some risk factors. For younger folks, there's not. But here's the other yeah. thing. There are some risk factors for, for the vaccine. So the risk of myocarditis with a second dose for adolescent boys, 12 to 24, is about 80 in a million. This is both from the CDC and from the Israeli study. It's also in the VAERS study, remarkably similar, for boys, much higher from boys than girls and much higher than the background. The background's about two per million. So there is risk, and there are risks, and you're telling everybody in America just blindly go out there because we made antibodies. So it is not an absurd corollary to say if you have 10. In fact, you probably make antibodies if you get 100 boosters, all right? That's not science. That's conjecture, and we should not be making public policy on it. So, Senator Paul, if I might respond to that, uh, we just heard in his opening statement uh, ranking member Burr talk about his staff who went to Israel. And if you look at the data from Israel, the boosts, both the third shot boost and the fourth shot boost, was associated with a clear cut clinical effect, mostly in elderly people, but also as they gathered more data, even in people in the 40s and the 50s. So there is clinical data. But, but not in children. Well, uh, well, see, again, here's the thing is, you're not willing to be honest with the American people. So, for example, 75% of kids have had the disease. Why is the CDC not including this in the data? You can ask the question. You can do laboratory tests to find out who's had it and who hasn't had the disease. What is the incidence of hospitalization and death for children who've been infected with COVID subsequently going to the hospital or dying. What, what, are the, what is the possibility if your kid has had COVID, which is 75% of the country's had COVID, what is the chance that my child's going to the hospital or dying? If you look at the number of deaths in pediatrics, Senator, you can see that there are more deaths of people who have had it, of people who have had the disease. Senator, we also know from other studies that the optimal degree of protection when you get infection is to get vaccinated after infection. And in fact, showing reinfection in the era of Omicron and the sublineages, that vaccination... But you can't follows. answer the question I asked. The question I ask is how many kids are dying and how many kids are going to the hospital who've already had COVID? The answer may be zero, but you're not even giving us the data because you have so much wanted to protect everybody from all the data, because we're not smart enough to look at the data. When you release data earlier, when the CDC released the data, they left out the category of 18 to 49 on whether or not there was a health benefit for, for adults 18 to 49. Why was it left out? When critics finally complained, it was finally included because there was no health benefit from taking a booster between the 18 to 49 and the CDC study. 
Another question for you. The NIH continues to refuse to voluntarily divulge the names of scientists who receive royalties and from which companies. Over the period of time from 2010 to 2016, 27,000 royalty payments were paid to 1,800 NIH employees. Well, royalties are just another name for kickbacks. If, you know, if I'm a buyer for a big corporation and I hire a vendor to sell me a whole bunch of stuff uh, for on behalf of the company and the company's paying for it, uh, because I blessed them and I chose them, um, they're going to go ahead and give me maybe a new golf membership to a country club or that, that's worth $12,000 or something like that. And this happens in Washington all the time. This is what is so significant about the, the, uh, the squad. You know, there's with the, uh, with the new um, uh, development in Texas with... Um, uh, I forget her name, but uh, the congresswoman that just was uh, took over a Democrat seat because he became a lobbyist, really, is what happened there. Um, she won that seat. Flores is her name. And she is going to close the gap. And now it's like, what, four people? And the squad is six women? And they even incorporated a couple of other insurance people? So they can control Nancy Pelosi... Because any bill that Nancy Pelosi puts out, they could become a roadblock for it until they're paid a toll, like a toll, a toll keeper, like a gatekeeper. And that's how the squad functions. That's how Washington functions. Every ambassador and every, like Samantha Powers at USAID, and all of these different ambassadors that are controlling the funding going to Ukraine, they get perks, they get kickbacks. But in government, they call them royalties. But in the private sector, they call them kickbacks. And you can get arrested for that. And this is perfectly legal. And this is the part that I have a problem with. Let's take a lesson. ...to 1,800 NIH employees. We know that. Not because you told us, but because we forced you to tell us through the Freedom of Information Act. Over $193 million was given to these 18 employee, 1,800 employees. Can you tell me that you have not received a royalty from any entity that you ever oversaw the distribution of money in research grants? Um, well, first of all, let's talk about... Royalty. That's the question. No, that's the question. Have you oh, ever no. overseen, have you ever received a royalty plan. payment from a company that you later oversaw money going to that company? You know, I don't know as a fact, but I doubt it. Well, well here's the thing do. is, why don't you let us know? Why don't you reveal you. how much you've gotten and from what entities? The NIH okay, refuses. Set, set Look, we ask them. We ask them, the NIH, we ask them whether or not, who got it and how much. They refuse to right. tell us. They sent it redacted. Here's what I want to know. It's not just about you. Everybody on the vaccine committee, have any of them ever received money from the people who make vaccines? Right. Can you tell me uh, that? Can you tell me if anybody Senator, on the vaccine approval committees ever received gonna, any money from people who make the vaccines? Soundbite, number one. Are you going to let me answer a question? Well, there it is, right? And this is all connected with globalism. So globalism is connected with the WHO, 
the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the International Monetary Fund, the World Trade Organization, the World Bank, all of this is worldly stuff. Why? And they're all connected. And the biggest spenders are the ones with the biggest influence. Now, I want, I want to, you know, I, want, I wanted to play this last week, and I wanted to play this this week, and now is a reasonably good time to play it. I don't think it's, uh, you know, but this is a little bit of a history of this guy named Klaus Schwab, who heads up the World Economic Forum. And with this little expose, you can get a good handle on what this is all about. Remember, we listened to... Uh, Vlardingerbrook uh, talk about, you know, globalism. Uh, this is just a little bit more uh, associated with the roots of globalism. Uh, and this is by a uh, a woman I follow on YouTube. Her name is Sorella Moore. And, uh, and it's a pretty good, pretty good presentation here. Let's just take a listen. In 1971, a young German economist called Klaus Schwab founded the World Economic Forum, originally called the European Management Forum. During its early days, it was described as a way for rich executives to have a delightful vacation on the expense account. But since then, the WEF has grown to become the world's largest gathering of world elites that attracts up to 1,500 private jets to the tiny Swiss city of Davos every single year. To many, the WEF's leader, Schwab, is a visionary who cares deeply about people and creating a better world for all of us to live on. But to others, he's not but a fraud, and a man who has created a billionaire circus at Davos that is used by the world's richest people to become even richer and more powerful. But who is Klaus Schwab really, and what do his actions actually say about his true motives? Well, hopefully we'll answer some of those questions in this video. And for those that are not quite sure what the World Economic Forum, or the WEF, is, here is a quick refresher. The WEF is a non-profit organization that claims to exist for the benefit of all of us. Its members are made up of a planet's most powerful people, dozens of world leaders, and some of the world's most profitable companies on Earth. It's the source of taglines like The Great Reset and You Will Own Nothing and Be Happy. Its main mission include shaping the face of our planet by attempting to change the way we live, work, exchange goods and services, and even how we own property. And despite some criticism, a lot of people love the WEF. Many argue that they're a selfless force for good that has our best interests at heart. And that includes here on this platform where the WEF has previously taken part in partnerships with YouTubers like Johnny Harris and Nas Daily. Now, we've actually done a couple of videos on the WEF previously, and I'll link them down below so you can watch them after you've watched this one. With that out of the way, let's talk about Klaus Schwab's actions, which might reveal his true intentions. Schwab and his organization are known for throwing around a lot of corporate buzzwords in their speeches and on the forum's website. And some of the most used values they preach are equity, diversity, and inclusion. But in reality, it seems that the WEF's key metric for inclusion is that you must have a massive bank balance. To participate in the World Economic Forum's activities, a person or company must be a member. Membership fees start at a very inclusive 
60,000 Swiss francs per year, around 62,000 US dollars. And for the top tier strategic partner membership, you'll have to shell out more than 620,000 US dollars. But if you want to attend the WEF's yearly meeting in Davos, that will set you back even more. A ticket to the most recent event in Davos in May of 2022 was reportedly almost 30,000 US dollars, or almost three times the average household income. And you can't even buy a ticket to Davos unless you're already a member of the WEF, meaning attendees are paying a minimum total of $91,000 just to get in. To me, this doesn't really sound so inclusive or equitable. It really just sounds like a way to create a very exclusive business club for the planet's elites, which many have argued that the WEF is exactly that, a place for the super rich to get together and strike business deals with one another. Now, with such a high membership fee, you'd imagine that the WEF would be making a lot of money. And yes, you would be right, but don't worry, they're not in it for the money. They want you to believe that they're doing all of this for the good of our planet. The WEF's tagline is improving the state of the world, and they regularly talk about the status as a nonprofit. In its 2021 financial report, the World Economic Forum reported over 350 million Swiss francs in income, or around a third of a billion dollars. And what do they do with all that money? Well, almost all of it went into maintaining their offices and paying staff, a total of 302 million francs. In other words, around 95% of its income was spent on administration costs and not really going towards making the world a better place. And speaking about equality, Schwab once boasted that high management salaries of executives is something that's no longer socially accepted in our world. But it doesn't seem like he believes his own words, as he reportedly earns a salary of 1 million Swiss francs per year, which in a true statement of equality is around 57 times the world's global average income. Now, I'm of course not against making money, but it does seem that the WEF is more concerned about funneling its money to itself rather than improving the state of the world. And even though the man at the top is already getting a seven-figure salary, it seems that he's not yet satisfied with that amount of money because he's previously used the resources of the WEF to make himself even more wealthy. Schwab has repeatedly used the forum's money for his own personal gain, despite its non-profit status, and has been accused of using the foundation's bank account as his own private venture capital fund. With the help of his nephew Hans, he's used the WEF's money to grow several for-profit businesses, including using the WEF's funds to cover the startup costs of an event management company, a company that immediately received a several million dollar a year contract from the WEF. He has also reportedly used the WEF's non-profit funds to buy almost $100 million worth of high-end real estate in Switzerland, including buying two parcels of expensive land near Lake Geneva, a purchase designed to link his private home directly to the World Economic Forum's headquarters, seemingly just so he wouldn't have to walk on land he doesn't own on his way to work in the morning. For a guy that seems to really believe that we should all own nothing and be happy, he seems to enjoy owning a lot of things. But with the evidence so far that I presented, what do you you think? Do you think that these are the actions of a charitable person or an organization, or is this something entirely different? avoiding scrutiny for using the WEF for his personal gain by stashing its assets in other places he controls. When the WEF started receiving too much scrutiny for taking part in for-profit activities, Schwab's communications director, Barbara Erskine, advised him of the potential conflict. This apparently made Schwab furious, who told Erskine he wanted to be regarded as a businessman, but eventually he gave in and set up a foundation that he named after himself. Since then, the WEF has transferred all of its for-profit assets to the Schwab Foundation, and although 
the foundation is also a non-profit, it reportedly controls hundreds of millions of dollars in assets. Assets that Schwab himself has said he doesn't want to give away. Instead, assets he wants to grow. And it's hard to know what Schwab's foundation is doing with all that money, as it keeps its financial activities very close to its chest. And although previously cleared of any wrongdoing, the foundation was also once investigated by the Swiss government after being accused of taking part in illegal financial activities. Basically, when the WEF started getting criticized for taking part in for-profit activities, Klaus just transferred the assets elsewhere. Now, a lot of people might argue that this is a little bit sneaky. However, this seems like it's not the only example of Klaus's behavior that is having us question what kind of a man he might be. According to reports, since the success of the World Economic Forum, it has been said that Klaus has demanded to be treated like a world leader wherever he travels, complete with welcoming delegations at the airport, just like a nation's president would receive. People have also come forth expressing that Mr. Schwab one day expects to receive a Nobel Peace Prize. But on the other hand, he was once reportedly so enraged by a staff member using his private car parking space when he was out of the country that he demanded she be fired. Her job was only saved after senior WEF staff stepped in to intervene. And remember his nephew Hans, who helped him start an events management company with the WEF's money? After Uncle Klaus promised Hans 5% of the business, he later went back on his word, telling his nephew that it wouldn't look good if he just handed over a part of the company to him. To me, these are really important points that we should keep in mind. And I think it shows a much more balanced perspective of who Klaus Schwab could be rather than the one-sided perspective that the WEF wants us to believe. On one hand, Klaus Schwab has the appearance of a selfless philanthropist who wants to promote equality in the world. But on the other hand, he has shown a history of using that non-profit for his own financial gain. He's someone who wants to be seen as a man of the people, but who reportedly has a special talent for catering to the narcissistic tendencies of the powerful. A man who, yes, has apparently dedicated his life to solving injustices of the world, but who also organizes an event where venture capitalists attend panels in Davos about human trafficking by day, only to allegedly attend parties that same evening that feature escorts flown in from Moscow. A man who claims to understand the problems of the average world citizen, but seems to mostly talk about these problems with the ultra-rich at high-priced events or at truffle-filled dinners only the elite can afford entry to. As I've said many times before on this channel, whenever there is a person or organization claiming about how fantastic they are or talking about the amazing things that they're doing, oftentimes this can be seen as one-sided thanks to PR. So it is important to look behind the curtain and also investigate the money trail because often money and the actions being taken speak a very different perspective to what we are being shown. Speaking of actions, why don't you also share this video around? All right. So there it is. That's pretty, uh, interesting um but those are the people that are in charge you know and this i can't help but think about you know the policies that we're uh participating in in the middle east right now you know with the jcpoa with supporting the palestinians again it's a left versus right conservative versus liberal uh kind of endeavor um and, you know, with all of this meddling, too, it seems like they're breaking, breaking things, they're creating things, whether it's gain of function that create, created the COVID uh, virus that then, uh, you know, the people that were inconvenienced were the, the people that had nothing to do with it. While, while the people that had everything to do with it uh, end up getting rich, like that metaphor, you know, the fireman and the arsonist. You know, the arsonist is the fireman. And... They get off on creating these 
catastrophes, uh, and then they become heroes, putting, uh, solving the riddle or solving, fixing the problem, fixing the problem while getting rich. At whose expense, though? And at some point, there's a limit to how much expense can go out the, the window. And what's going to happen with that? I think that's how you get to the Cloward and Piven exercise of collapsing the economy and rebuilding it back up in the fashion that you see fit. But, you know, how is this working out for people? Um, Let's take a listen to a couple of uh, economic uh, statements um, because they're collapsing the economy and they're opening the borders. But I got two clips here that suggest both are backfiring on on the Biden administration. Let's take a listen. The poll also shows that most Americans are not paying close attention, only 9% paying close attention. So is it breaking through? I I think people don't see it as anything new. There's Jonathan's book. There was an impeachment hearing. You know, okay, we've, we've been there. We've done this. Okay, so there they were talking about people are worried about their finances. They're not even watching the J6 hearings. Then you got the Hispanics uh and their poll numbers let's take a listen there are differences in what's going on with the latino vote if you look at texas florida and arizona these are three districts that are a little bit let's call them emblematic of what we're talking about florida 27 this is the miami dade area it went from being clinton by 19 in 2016 to biden by just three in 2020 texas 15 that is on the mexico border uh clinton 16 to biden plus two arizona this is the tucson area so arizona is a place that some democrats say think that helped biden win that state it went from clinton 29 to biden 27 so not a huge shift but still in texas and in florida there are big erosions happening big erosions happening yeah Uh, that that's going to continue to happen. Red states lead 21 of the top 26 states with the lowest unemployment rates are led by Republican governors. So 21 of the 26 states with the lowest unemployment rates, they're led by Republican governors. Um, and, uh, there's another uh, chart that I wanted to get to as well, but, you know, these charts are not looking good for uh, for the Democrats. Um, also, uh, I wanted to play another clip here, right here. Okay, CBS Mar- Margaret Brennan pushes back on inv- advisor Brian Deese over Biden's spending proposal proposals. Let's take a look. If we can do a package like that, we can move forward in the near future. It will not only help in lowering prices, but it will send a signal to the markets and the global economy that the United States is really deadly serious about taking on this. Hiking taxes isn't going to change the price of milk. When and how are you actually putting forward this package? The package has been uh, debated. It's been worked through. Uh, It failed back when Build Back Better's version of it. So if inflation is the number one priority right now, when are you scheduling a vote? to do the things you just laid out. We're working very closely with congressional leadership, with Senate leadership on that. If So they want you to believe that raising taxes is not going to raise the price of the product. Do you believe that? I don't. All right, here's another short clip. If your paycheck feels smaller, it probably is. Let's take a listen. If your paycheck feels smaller, it probably is. Our economy is racing red hot. 
With widespread worry, it's careening toward a cliff. We have both the tools we need and the resolve that it will take to restore price stability. But beyond raising interest rates, there's much the Fed can't control. The multiple drivers behind the highest rate of inflation in 40 years. In 40 years. And Janet Yellen doesn't have a clue. I don't think that um, policies are responsible for what's happening in the (laughs) oil market. Um, Actually, uh, consumption of gas and fuels are currently at lower levels than pre-pandemic. And what's happened is that production has gone down. Refinery capacity has declined in the United States and oil production has declined. Yeah, right, right. And it should be skyrocketing. Uh, Regarding the job recovery, in job recovery, red states lead 12 of the top 15 led by Republican governors. So red states lead. So 12 of the top 15 states for jobs recovered post-pandemic from the pandemic are led by Republican governors. Why is that? And that's going to, tri- that's going to, that's going to come out in the, uh, in the, in the election as well. You're going to see that the Bradford file writes, mm, Biden is sending $40 billion to a country that just permanently banned the opposition party. I'm pretty sure that's not saving democracy. Is it? So there's that. Um, I have a couple of other clips I wanted to read. And, uh, Oh, Justin, Germany producer, price inflation surges to 33.6% in May, the highest level ever recorded since 1949. Oh, and then France also had the election, had this election where um, Macron no longer has power of the parliament. So he is no longer has full control of the government. Anything he stands for is not going to be pushed through without consent of his of the government that's in place. And it's not him. He's just the leader. So there's that. The Bradford Frodo writes, it will be awkward for Adam Schiff to accuse others of insurrection when he just planned one himself. Of course that's true. And uh, one more. Oh. Let's see. Oh, well, okay. Well, you know, I was just looking at the clock and I was looking at the time. Um, I don't have time to play this clip. Uh, There's another clip. FDA official Dr. Peter Marks says vaccinated kids have a five-fold increase of myocarditis. While on earth, why on earth are they pushing the COVID vaccine on babies? We still don't know the long-term safety profile of these vaccines. And that was Senator Ron Johnson. Well, that brings us to the end of the Scott Adams show. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in today. Uh, Be sure to check out buglecall.org and magapac.org to find out how we're advancing America first policies to make America great again. Also, if you're over at mypillow.com, please use red state as your promo code to help the station out and help Scott Adam show out. And with that, we'll see you next time on the radio. Bye-bye, everybody. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. I grab a shovel, dig the hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to there.